Hi, welcome to Pitt Town Church. We are so glad that you're listening to this podcast. We pray that this sermon encourages you in your walk with Jesus. If you would like more information, check out our website at www.pitttownchurch.com. Okay, we're going to be reading from Jonah chapter 4 as we continue in Jonah. So I'll give you a sec to find your way there. Cool. All right, let's read. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. He prayed to the Lord, Please, Lord, isn't this what I said while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled towards Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to become angry, rich in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. And now, Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. The Lord asked, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah left the city and sat down east of it. He made himself a shelter there and sat in its shade to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God appointed a plant and it grew up to provide shade over Jonah's head to ease his discomfort. Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. When dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant and it withered. As the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind. The sun beat down so much on Jonah's head that he almost fainted and he wanted to die. He said, it's better for me to die than to live. Then God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Yes, he replied, it is right. I'm angry enough to die. So the Lord said, you cared about the plant which you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in a night and perished in a night. Should I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left, as well as many animals? Haven't even started. All right. I've got the uh, great privilege of opening up God's word for us as we finish off this series. So why don't you join with me as I pray? Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much that you're a God of grace. You are so gracious to us. And Father, I pray that tonight, wherever we're at, Father, I pray that you would speak to us and change us and and show us more and more of your Son and, and we would be compelled by your love into action. And I pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, I think in every family, there's always that one person who is just like ultra competitive. And I think for our family, it's like pretty obvious who that is. Helen. Like it's just pretty obvious. But like if you'd ask my siblings who that might be in like my immediate family, there's a slight chance they might possibly say me. I don't know why they would say that. But um, there was one occasion when we were on a youth camp and we were playing cricket on a basketball court, as you do, and there was one of the leaders who was just batting and he was just in all day and I was just like seizing with anger, just wanted to get him out and he hit this ball and it was going to the boundary and I think, hey, this is a really smart idea to dive on the concrete And so I dive and the head thumps down and my arm stretches out and it goes under the wire fence and then the wire fence sort of shreds my arm and 
I end up in hospital. But let me just say, I saved the boundary, saved the four. That's what I told mum and dad about because I'm, there's something in me that I'm just slightly competitive. Like if I'm playing something, it doesn't matter if it's Monopoly, like I just want to win. I, that's what I care about. And maybe that's you and you're like, yes, I can relate to you, Chris. Or maybe you're just like, Chris, you're a total psycho. You're crazy. What is this? But as we come to the passage tonight, I, I want us to be maybe asking that question of ourselves. What, what do you deeply care about? Because as we come to Jonah 4, I think what God is doing, he's, he's actually shining a spotlight on our hearts and he wants us to ask this question of ourselves. And so we'll come to that. But what a great time I've had in this book and in this series. It's been, it's been awesome. It's been a, bit, you know, a big journey but as we've been going through week after week after week, I don't know about you, but it's just been kind of like you just are confronted with the unexpected. Like things just happen that you wouldn't really expect. Like chapter one, it says that God, he, he calls Jonah, the, the word of the Lord comes to him and he says, Jonah, I want you to go. I want you to go to Nineveh and preach there. Call them to turn to me. And what does Jonah do? Well, he bolts the, the opposite direction. He, he jumps on a boat, goes to Tarshish, and you kind of think, well, this is their national hero. I mean, surely he, he, you know, he cared more about national and military causes, but, hey, you'd expect the prophet of God to probably not flee. But that's what he does. And then as they're on the boat, this is the prophet that skips the prayer meeting as we saw in week one. And then we see the unexpected again when the sailors, these pagan sailors, they're the ones praying to God and they're the ones calling out to Yahweh. And then Jonah, he, he gets thrown into the water, the, the storm stops and you kind of think that's the end of him. He gets what he deserves. But then the unexpected happens again, like God does the, the seemingly impossible and a fish comes and swallows him up, saves him from death's grip. And Jonah's there and he's praying in the belly of the fish. And then the fish vomits him out onto dry land and God says to him again, go, go to Nineveh. And Jonah does it and he does a bit of a half-hearted job. And then what happens? Nineveh, they like, they listen. And God, like, he relents. He shows the mercy. At chapter three, like, we're at a pretty kind of mountain top experience. And it would make sense if, you know, the book just stopped there. You stop at Jonah three. Things are pretty exciting. Why have chapter four? Well, I think as we come to chapter 4, I think what we see is that everything actually comes together here in this chapter. In this chapter, it's, it's God, he's lifting up the curtain. He's showing us what the whole book's about. And so let's have a look. As I said, chapter 3 is a bit of a mountaintop experience 
for Jonah. I mean, if you if that happened to you as a prophet, it's it's kind of like this revival has broken out. I mean, that's going to make the highlight reels. You would think, you know, that's something you'd be excited about to, you know, email back to your supporters back at home sort of thing. You you would expect Jonah to be pretty stoked. And yet instead of being astonished and adoring God, it says that he's filled with anger. Verse 1, Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. And you're kind of like, what? What's going on? Like, it's really interesting. When When it says that Jonah was greatly displeased, that same root word, it's the same root word that was used to describe Nineveh's evil ways. So it's something repulsive. And so it's not just saying that Jonah was just, you know, a little bit unhappy. It's saying that Jonah was disgusted. And he was disgusted with God. Jonah thinks there's this big scandal that has taken place. We read on in verse 2 and it says, He prayed to the Lord, Please, Lord, isn't this what I said while I was still in my own country? Now, I just want to pause there and I just think, well, this is the first time we're hearing about it, but this is just great storytelling. We're we're hearing about it in chapter 4 as the grand reveal is about to happen. But he says, please, Lord, isn't this what I said while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled toward Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love and one who relents from sending disaster. See, Jonah, he's he's not just a little bit miffed. Like this is a full-blown tantrum and I've been privy to some of them and like this is what's happening. And in this tantrum, Jonah, he recites some of the most beautiful and precious truths about God in the whole of Scripture. But Jonah's just like, I knew it, God. I knew it. You just needed a whiff of them repenting and you just wanted to rush to show them mercy. I knew it. That's the type of God you're like. See, Jonah, he he knew what the people of Nineveh were like. They weren't best buddies with God's people. They They were their enemies. They were the ancient terrorists. Like you can read accounts of the ways that they tortured and massacred people and it's pretty uncensored and it's pretty grisly and raw and it'll make you gag. And you read that and you think, does Jonah have a point? But it's, it's like Jonah, he's, he's had a John McEnroe moment. He's like, you cannot be serious. These people? See, Jonah, he's, he's not adoring God. He's filled with anger. The scandal that Jonah is disgusted with is the scandal of God's grace. People getting what they don't deserve. And really, these people of all people? Now, as I know too well, a toddler's tantrum can escalate. And this is what happens here with Jonah. Like things, the temperature is just raised a little bit. And you can see that in verse 3. And he says, 
And now, Lord, take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And it's kind of like I want to come beside Jonah and just say, hey, buddy, breathe. Just breathe in and out. But verse 4, the Lord then asks, is it right for you to be angry? God just gives him a question and then just leaves it. And then Jonah's tantrum turns into a bit of a sulk and he, he skulks off and he goes outside the city and he makes up a little booth for himself. Because he knows, like he's just said that God's you know, relented from punishing these people, but Jonah, he, he wants them to cop it. And if there's the, like, the slightest slither of a chance of that happening, he wants a front row seat. Like He wants to see the fireworks. He wants to be there with the popcorn and the, the chock top so he can see what these people get what they deserve. But while all that's happening and while he's there, something astonishing happens in verse 6. And it says, Then the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew over Jonah to provide shade for his head, to rescue him from his trouble. Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. And when dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant and it withered. And as the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind. So as all this is happening, it says Jonah, he's there. This plant comes up and Jonah, he enjoys the experience of the shade. But it's kind of like the part of a story as, as you're reading it that you might just want to skim over really quick. You're kind of like, is this just kind of like a side little nothing part that doesn't really mean much? On a, and on the surface, it seems pretty insignificant. But I think as we look at this passage, we see that there is so much more going on under the surface. What we see is that the God that Jonah was trying to flee from, he hasn't gone anywhere. And he is sovereignly at work in everything that's going on. We see that throughout the whole book. In, in chapter 2 it said, the Lord appointed the fish. And then here it says that the Lord, he, he appointed that plant to grow. And then the Lord, he appointed that worm to attack it. And then the Lord appointed that wind to come, like you experience when you open an oven door, to come and scorch Jonah. Like God did it. Again and again and again, we see that God's not small here. He is sovereign. And there's this great quote by a pastor called John Piper that captures this that I want to share. He says this, Every tiny popping bubble in the foam at the top of a newly poured can of Coke, every floating dust mote, which you can only see in the early morning bedroom beam of light, every tip of every stalk of grain stretching across the endless Nebraska plain, all of them with all their slightest movements, governed by God. Another pastor said that every particle of spray that dashes against the steamboat has its orbit set out by God just as much as the sun does. 
All throughout the Bible and particularly here, we see that God, he is in control over the big things and in the small things. It's not random. God's in control. But I think the the question we've got to ask in response to that is, well, why? Why is God appointing all these things? What's the purpose? Well, let's come back to the story and let's see. It says that, verse 8, the sun beat down on Jonah's head so much that he'd almost fainted and he wanted to die. And he said, it's better for me to die than to live. And it's kind of like, yeah, we've been here before, Jonah. All right. And in verse 9, then the Lord asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Yes, it's right, he replied. I'm angry enough to die. You're like, man, he is not having a good day, is he? And then we come to verses 10 and 11. And here in verses 10 and 11, we see that all the threads of the book come together. And here in these last two verses, we see what the whole book is about. God replies to him and he says in verse 10, You cared about the plant, which you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in a night and perished in a night. Verse 11. So may I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left, as well as many animals. I ask you guys the question at the start, what is it that you care about? Because here God says that for Jonah, he... He cared about the plant and he didn't do anything to it. It it came and it went. And then God says, well, shall I not care for the 120,000 people in Nineveh who don't know their right from their left? In other words, people who don't even know the, the basics, the fundamentals of right and wrong, of, of good and evil, But even more than that, the the people who don't even know the the fundamentals of life and where life can be found, people who don't know me, Yahweh, should I not care about these people, so many of them created in my image? Should I not have compassion on them? And even, and he throws in the last little kind of phrase, and many animals. And we read that and have a bit of a chuckle and we're like, why is that little kind of bit kind of slotted in there? And I think mentioning the animals just adds weight for the huge gap between what Jonah cared about and what God cares about. And that's how the book ends. With that question just hanging in the air. And you know what? I think that's where it's meant to be. I think we're meant to leave this book with that question lingering. We're meant to leave this book with that question rolling around in our minds. 
What do you care about? We've seen that God has been sovereignly at work in this chapter, but also throughout the whole book. And I asked the question, well, why is he doing this? What's the, the greater purpose? And there's so much I could say, but there are two things I think we see really clearly from Jonah. The first is we see that, that God is sovereignly at work because God wanted to expose what Jonah and what many of us really care about. See, what did Jonah care about? We said it. He cared about the plant. He cared about the shade that it provided. He cared about comfort. And I think we can trace that back to chapter 1 when he didn't even want to go in the first place. But even deeper than that, what we see is that Jonah, deep down, cared about Jonah, really. And I don't know about you, but as we've been studying this book, more and more together, I've been convicted about how I am more like Jonah than I would care to admit. And maybe that's you. If you're honest with yourself, what are the things that you actually care about? And if you're struggling to figure out what they are, I've got a few questions that I'd love you to just answer in your own minds as to what that could be. For you, what are the things you find yourself talking about the most? What fills your conversations? Or when you've got some spare time, what are the things that you dream about? Or even more than that, what's that one thing in life that if you lost it, you would be totally devastated? What is it? Because I think in Jonah 4, we see it's kind of like God is holding up a, a mirror for us to take a look and it's confronting and it's hard. But we see that God is sovereignly at work to expose and to show what's really going on in our hearts and what we really love. But I think secondly, what we see from this chapter and from this book is that God is sovereignly at work because he wants to remind us and he wants to show us what he really cares about. We get a glimpse into his heart. And what does our God care about? He cares about a lot. Throughout the Bible, we see that he cares about his glory. What do we see here? We see that God cares about people. He cares about broken people who are created in his image. He cares about people who are openly rebelling against him like the city of Nineveh. And he cares about people who are subtly rebelling against him like the self-righteous prophet. But whoever they are, he cares that people would come to him and repent and live. Our God, he's filled with compassion toward people. Like when Jesus was on earth and he saw crowds of people, it said that he was filled with compassion when he saw them because he described them as being harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Because when we were running from our God, because of his compassion, he pursued us. When we were lost, because of his compassion, he sent Jesus to die for you. 
And when we effectively spat in God's face because of his compassion, he opened wide his arms and said, come to me. Come to me and live. Come to me and trust me. The compassion and the grace of our God is just mind-blowingly amazing. It should make us melt. It should make us weep. And I pray, my prayer for today as we've been finishing up this whole book is that us as a church, that we would increasingly care about the things God cares about. That that would be us. See, I don't know how you feel when you think about your neighbours that live around you. When you think about family members that you wrote down in your prayer card. Or when you think and hear about the thousands of people who live in Pitt Town. Or the thousands of others who are going to be moving into surrounding suburbs around us. I don't know how you feel about that. Are you filled with compassion for them? Or is it just indifference? Or when you hear and you hear about people in the nations from different countries, people from India and China and all around Europe and, and Russia, people who don't know him, but are you filled with his compassion? Do we care? This commentator helpfully said this. He said, those who forget their need for mercy are the quickest to withhold it from others. I pray that that would not be us. I pray that we would not forget this amazing grace and what all God has done for us. But I pray that God would stun us again with his grace and that we would be a church who doesn't walk past our neighbour, who, who doesn't walk past our suburb, who, who doesn't walk past our, our city because we know that our Jesus didn't walk past you. His grace is stunning. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we... We're left speechless when we think about your great love for us, that while we were sinners, Jesus died for us. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. But it's just because you loved us that you loved us and that you sent Jesus to die in our place. And, Father, I pray that we would never recover from how amazing the gospel is, that we would be stunned by it. And... As we consider your great love for us, I pray that that great love would compel us out and that, Lord, that we would increasingly care about the things you care about. We would be caring about the lost among us near and far so that more and more people would come and trust in Jesus. And I pray all this in his name. Amen.